Welcome to Coffee and Converse. I'm Diane and this is a show for lifestyle entrepreneurs, those people building a business to support their life instead of living to build a business. If this is you, stick around for strategies on doing business more efficiently with more ease and in a way that feels oh so good to you. Hey, hey, today's guest, Chloe Wongu, is a brand scientist, behavioral strategist, and visibility expert. And she helps brands leverage science to make them impossible to ignore. Hey, Chloe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's kick things off with a little intro to you and your business journey. Oh, goodness, where do I start here? I suppose I'll say that I didn't go to school for what I'm doing right now. In fact, I my grad degree was in international mediation and conflict resolution. So that's social psychology in super high-stakes situations, wow, yeah. essentially. And the way that I got to what I do now is I was brought in to consult on a civil war. I was brought in to consult as part of a team on the civil war in Yemen. And I hadn't realized this at the time when I sort of accepted the project, but the folks who brought us in, turns out they weren't actually part of the UN peace process, even though they were a pretty sizable chunk of the population. And so what they wanted from this team that they'd assembled was to become part of the peace process, which was going to determine the future of their country. And again, the civil war in Yemen is still ongoing, <laughs> you know, all of these things. So I'm speaking in the past tense because my involvement is in the past tense. And so with that particular file with that particular project, I had something of a crisis of faith because most folks who go into conflict resolution or mediation, they go into it because they want to level the playing field, right? Like I can control the dynamics in the room so that there are no, like, even if there's like a lion in the room, it doesn't matter because like I am there to like keep things mm -hmm. equitable, right? And that was especially my focus that my whole deal was using what we know about how the brain works and how behavior works and how we interact with each other to make those processes more effective. But the fact that folks who needed to be in these negotiations, in order for them to be sustainable and to actually last five, 10 years, the fact that those kinds of folks weren't even getting in the door because of who they were, just, gosh, I remember being devastated and not knowing what to do. So over the course of my work on that file, I started trying to put together a plan. Like, okay, you know, like, what what skills do I have at my disposal to make sure the right folks are getting into these rooms where I have control of the dynamics, right? After a lot of research and watching the more senior members of this team, I came to realize that, oh, it's brands. Oh, wow, really? Brands? That's the thing? Yeah, and it turns out it's it's brands because... What brands do in their largest sense is they tell others how to treat you. Every nation state has a brand. Certain countries know not to mess with other countries in certain ways because of their right. brand, right? And so ultimately the work that I did or the like the corner of the work that I did in addition to all of the peace negotiation knowledge was starting to help construct a brand for this group. And by the time I was done with my my time team, they were part of the peace negotiations. Yeah, jaw open. And I've heard Chloe talk like loads of times and I'm blown away. What an incredible origin story. Yeah, thank you. And 
I mean, I know, I know that some folks are going to be like brands. How did you get there? Right. Like, and uh, honestly, a couple of places, right? I think the first, the first thing that I would say is that I grew up as a tech nerd. So even though I did not go to school for tech stuff, I supported myself through school by doing tech stuff on the side, right? And so when you are the young person at a nonprofit, you're always asked to like handle the tech stuff, right? But then it turned out people realized that I was like this high functioning tech nerd who like knew, knew how to code and like could build computers and like all these things, right? And so for that reason, they're like, oh, no, really, though, could you handle all of the tech stuff? And that includes like building us a website, the social media, like all of these things, right? Taking care of the impression that we share out in the world online. And as more and more, usually small, small to medium sized nonprofit heard about the work that I was doing, more and more of them asked me to support them in that way. And so that's why brands were kind of on the brain for me, because I had this deep experience in what, tangential, of course, but like this deep experience in what folks in my field at the time called digital mm -hmm. diplomacy. And so being someone who was a specialist in digital diplomacy and someone who was also an international mediator, when, you know, those things combined and I was looking at the problem I had in front of me, that's kind of what came up. So yeah, I would say that's the first reason <laughs> that brands were on the brain for me. I'd say the second reason is that my understanding of what brands are came from a very weird perspective, right? Like I said, I didn't go to school for this. So it wasn't like I was like, oh yeah, unique selling proposition, <laughs> blah, 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 and niching, even though if we have the time, I can tell you why some of those <laughs> things are problematic, right? <laughs> but that's only after years and years of study. But what, what I did understand brands to be because of the kind of work that I was doing at the time was a system of ideas that influences the behavior of other people. Said another way, my perspective on what a brand is at the time and currently now still was that a brand was a type of influential real estate in somebody's head. Your origin story is such a unique spin on how powerful a brand can be because I think we really think about personal brands like celebrities and we think about mm -hmm. big commercial brands so we tend to think of brands in terms of money not necessarily as much influence in the business world I'm sure in nonprofits, yep. it's not the same thing at all oh you'd be surprised let me not come for anybody's neck here but but the but the nonprofit industrial complex is a thing. It is alive and well, and it's like a bit problematic. So like for sure, money is a, absolutely. They're probably thinking about it in similar ways. So you come at brands from this really unique perspective of one, I think a brand can be life-changing. And two, you have a real kind of social science research data gathering perspective on things. What do you think, coming from that perspective, our traditional teachings on branding don't take into account? Is that too big a question? Do I need to narrow it? No, this is like my favorite question. I told you that I came in, in into our call with a lot of rage. This is exactly like unlock perfection. This is the perfect question. Okay. Minutes. <laughs> Let me just. Chloe unload. is now the host of this meeting. <laughs> oh my! Just like the little Zoom notification popping up. 
look, okay, so many things. But I will say at the core of it all, at least through the work that I do, is this idea of under-recognition, right? That all of the traditional approaches and tools and methods, like all the things that we have learned, whether or not it is as online executives, whether or not it's as, you know, executives in the brick and mortar world, founders, what you know, like whatever it happens to be, right? All the things that we have been taught don't account for the fact that some of us literally have an invisibility cloak placed over us as the default, right? That people have been conditioned to overlook us. And because the tools and approaches and strategies and tactics and all those things don't, don't account for the fact that that invisibility cloak is there, those tactics, strategies, blah, 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 X, Y, Z, aren't, like, they don't work the same for everybody. But people pretend like they do. So it's kind of like you can do all of the things right. You can do all of the seven-step framework. You can do all of those things mm-hmm. and you're still, like, I don't know, Harry Potter in the library with, like, whatever his cloak is called. Like, yes. you just you just don't exist <laughs> on the interweb. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. That's exactly it, right? And so, so... Under recognition, and this is for those who are unfamiliar, I did I did recently have an article come out in Harvard Business Review about this. So if you are interested in reading more, we can provide a link, I'm sure. But under under recognition is it's just a concession to the fact that all human beings allocate attention in discriminatory ways. And so what that means is that visibility isn't neutral. What we pay attention to is not neutral. And the cause of that is something that I call visibility biases. So I'm sure we've all heard of implicit bias or various cognitive biases, right? So visibility biases are just a category of cognitive bias. They're the category of cognitive bias that are responsible for underrecognition. And a really great example of one is not one that I discovered, actually, but one that comes out of some research from 2021. It's called the racial attention deficit. And what these researchers were able to demonstrate empirically is that white Americans, and again, this study was limited, right? But white Americans are 33% more likely to overlook their black peers. And that's even when they've been incentivized to pay attention to those peers, right? So one. And two, even when they know that that black peer may have information or knowledge that might help them solve a pressing problem, right? So what folks who are in marketing and communications and branding might call like brand saliency or something like that, right? So when both of those things are true, the gap is 33%. Imagine when those two things are not true, right? And I know that anecdotally, folks have told me that the number feels higher. And yeah, absolutely. That tracks with the research that was done in this study, because again, it was necessarily limited, right? It looked at race in a very limited scope, and it didn't really even look at gender, right? So it didn't look at, okay, is this different with a Black woman, Black man, a trans person? It didn't look at sexual orientation, like socioeconomic status. It didn't look at any of those various other identifiers, right? And really, the only dimension of gender that they did include was to say they didn't see any significant difference between white men and white women when looking at their black peers and this gap. 
that's really the only way that they looked at it. But otherwise, not really. Right. So another caveat I'll add is that this is this is a number that pertains to work online. Right. So if your relationships are in person, this number is likely higher. And the researchers say this, say as much in their study. Right. So this is an example. This is just one and, example. And even though it's, it might be a limited in scale study, anecdotally, women have been saying that they can say something in a meeting Absolutely. and a man can say the exact same thing two minutes later. And, exactly. it's, and it's genius. This is just adding a different dimension and a different bias exactly. that's showing the exact same thing. Yeah, it's exactly true. It's exactly true, right? And that actually points to another... Reminds me of another visibility bias, which also was not discovered by me, but one that was the, the phrase was coined by Mary Ann Seek, who wrote this excellent book called The Authority Gap, right? And so that sort of speaks to what you're talking about, right? The the negative feelings, maybe I'll say, if I'm trying to be neutral here, that folks have about women in positions of authority, right? Which can lead to all that stuff that you're talking about, right? A woman saying something and it just... yeah. Being completely ignored until it's repeated, yeah. by, right? We're almost saying that, like, unless the person is similar to you, you under-recognize their contribution, whether that's in a work right? environment yes. or whether you're being influenced by their brand. Exactly, exactly. Here's the kicker. We've all been conditioned this way, right? And so what that means is that it's not even that I, as a Black woman, am more likely to recognize the contributions of Black women right? No, because this actually happens within groups as well, right? And so I, as a Black woman, I'm still more likely without like doing my own internal right. work, right? I'm still more likely to to recognize or over-recognize in some cases the contributions of, let's say, a white man, right? Versus the contributions of a Black woman like me, right? Or a white woman, you know? like So that that sort of unspoken recognition food chain exists for all of us and doesn't necessarily really shift without like real intense internal work. That's why it's a default, right? That's why it's the status quo. And so I bring all of this up to say, right, that like, if you if you completely ignore that this is a reality, then yeah, it totally makes sense to give somebody the advice like, Hey, just provide value for free and like things will happen, right? Where it's like mm. or or the the all-time classic, if I can do it, you can do it. Oh my god, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're just like, mm. okay. So no. we're paying a lot of dollars to build our brand. We're spending a lot of time on our websites and on social media, and if we're in an underrecognized category, we're not getting the full ROI for all of that effort is essentially where we're coming. Absolutely. And so we can only control ourselves. So we can do as much intense mm -hmm. personal work as we can possibly do to try and shift mm -hmm. our own contribution to this problem. But we have to assume that the greater majority is select is choosing not to do said work, right? right? So if we can only control ourselves, what can we do with our brand? Like how do we know that this is happening with our brand and how do we how do we make ourselves more visible, I guess, in a world that maybe doesn't want us to be that visible? I'll answer the first one first. Usually I'll answer, I answer the second one first, but now I think the first one first this time around. To the first question, how do we know that this is happening to our brand? Honestly, if, if, if you come from 
a traditionally underrecognized community. This is happening. If you want to know for sure, I do have an assessment, and we can also provide that link, where I sort of explain the four phases of visibility, and you're able to sort of assess which of these four phases you happen to be in. Because not only will this tell you, oh, okay, yep, for sure, underrecognition is the thing that I'm dealing with, but it'll tell you what the... It'll suggest or give you more clues as to what you want to be focusing on as a solution, given the phase that you're in, right? Because something that I do see a lot is folks will utilizing a strategy or a tactic that works, but not for the phase of visibility. And so they'll be being really strategic with the kind of attention, right? for example, right? when really what they need to be focusing on is like a proper download of their brand, right? So you can also be doing, again, doing all of the right things, but in the wrong order. So first of all, no one is seeing us. We're in our little invisibility cloak. And now not only are they not seeing us, we're also potentially shooting ourselves in the foot at the same time. This is such a cheery episode. It's so cheery. I'm so sorry. I do not mean to bring all the bad news, I'm sorry, but also I think it's better that we, that we know instead of beating ourselves up over what we feel is a personal failing, right? And that's the thing. Lots of folks will come to me, they're like, oh, I know, like, I'm not consistent enough on social media or, no, no, I know, I'm not, I'm not leveraging the exposure that I'm getting well enough, right? Or whatever it happens to be, right? Meanwhile, I'm sitting there being like, sweetie, no, like this is not a personal failing. This is a systemic one, right? Like this is not you. You're like, you're awesome and you're doing incredible work. It's just, there's this other barrier here that was made special just for you and you weren't aware of it until now. I just had this flash of an image and I don't know if this made it to the US news, but over here at a European athletics meet, one of the shot putters, did the 100 meter hurdles race because their teammate was sick and they weren't going to be able to do it. And in order to not be disqualified, someone from the team had to do it. So she stepped up and literally, it's one of the cutest things to watch because she's like literally like climbing over the hurdles and stuff. But I had that flash of like, oh, congratulations, all the hurdlers are over here. And here's you, like the shot putter, trying to be like, I'm I'm coming. Hold on with all these like specially built obstacles just for you. Yeah, exactly. So so you mentioned like giving value for free. Can we use that as an example Mm -hmm. for like how we could, how we could maybe think about what we could do in our brands? Because that's really traditional like marketing advice, like give value Mm -hmm. for free, like jab, 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 right hook, right? That's Gary V's like. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my I wanted, god! I wanted to pick the most quintessential person for you to like riff off. <laughs> Gary V fans don't come like, for us. Look, okay, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be dead honest with you. I barely know anything about this man. <laughs> like, I truly, truly, I think I saw one video of him like on Instagram, or it might have been on YouTube, and I was like, nope, this is not my portion. It's fine. I don't need to. And anytime I see anything about Gary V, I just gonna avoid it. So I don't really know what his personal philosophy is. Essentially, his personal philosophy is give away a ton of value. Oh, yeah. Okay. So 
Okay, here we go. Okay. I think that's right. an easy okay. one for people because I- they understand that and they're probably all doing it and that's where consistency and all the all the rest of it mm-hmm. comes off of. If I hadn't mm-hmm. invoked the rage, I have now. <laughs> you truly have. Like I just it's fine. I also have a resource for this. I have a uh, blog post. The people like Gary V, who if I'm remembering correctly, is a white man, right? I could be wrong, but that's what I'm remembering, right? And he's well off, it sounds like, and I think it sounds like he's able-bodied and straight and cisgender and all those things, right? So the thing with folks is that in our society, we're not in the habit of exploiting the Gary V's of the world. And so when the Gary V's of the world are like, here's this free thing that I am offering you, I am being of service. We're all sort of like, amazing. This is so lovely of you. I never would have imagined, right? I think a really great example might be like just picture a parent and they are preparing lunch for their super rambunctious kids, right? Chances are super high that you imagined a woman as the parent, mm-hmm. right? But this isn't even the main point, right? Like that's just something I point out because like, and now you did this, right? That if that parent were a man or a father in this case, right? Imagine what the societal response in general would be to that, right? Just this sort of cooing lovingly over him and just it's so supportive like such a good dad such a good dad like the 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 heavens are open in his eye you know like just like tremendous like love admiration and respect right and and props of course but if you know if it's a woman i just kind of expected right like yeah that's what she's doing yeah right and so this this tendency this history that we have societally as human beings. And I won't say that this exists everywhere, right? Because I'm sure that there are small pockets of cultures that worked differently, right? But for the most part, especially in the Western, we were in the habit or have been in the habit of exploiting women and people of color for unseen and uncompensated labor. And in many forms, we still do that today. And the idea of actually compensating those populations for that labor is kind of unthinkable, right? Like compensating a mom for doing mom stuff. Or in the States here, compensating the descendants of Black American slaves for building the country, right? So it's almost like we see the recognized, let's say the man, doing something and we're like, oh my gosh, over and above. And therefore, yes. when he then asks me to pay for something, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Of course because, I like, will. Look how much value you've given me. But when I see a woman or a person of color giving me something for free, I'm like, well, yes. Well, of, of course, course they, they did. did. And then when they ask me to pay for it, I'm, I'm subconsciously like, jarred by, yeah, well, like, well, wait a second. Why would I do that? For what? Right. What did you give right. me? Yeah. This is this phenomenon. This was discovered by me. And this phenomenon is a visibility bias that I call the reciprocity gap. And so everybody, most lots of folks, I will say, are familiar with the whole rule of reciprocity, which is where the whole provide value for free thing comes from is, in fact, a cognitive bias, right? So that's another example. That when you provide value of some sort, people feel obligated to respond in kind. There are lots of reasons for that. Read my blog post to find out more, right? But there's a fundamental flaw in that reasoning. And that fundamental flaw is like, well, okay, but 
there is a gap in reciprocity, right? There's, there's a gap in terms of the rate of return on the value provided by folks like us, essentially. And so someone like us can give more and expect to get less in return. Often we will. And so that's why provide more value for free is such terrible advice for underrecognized folks, because it's not a winning strategy for someone that society has already been conditioned to exploit. They're just going to continue to look to you for more free stuff while paying exactly. somebody else for the same thing, essentially. So okay. how do we so how do we change that? Because it's also in the online business world very expected that you do something for free, whether that's having an opt-in, whether that's a free discovery call, whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. That's yeah. I completely get what you're saying. That yeah. I could put out ten pieces and somebody else could put out one piece and we might get the same response. But at the same time, it's very jarring to me to think, well, what if I just didn't give you anything for free? I mean, you're talking about someone who has like a 200 plus episode podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, oh, okay. What? <laughs> okay. Problem. 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 Next week, okay, that Converse will now be a subscription model. <laughs> and look, if you want to do that, absolutely. I will link free. Chloe's Instagram I, this... so you can go and tell her what you think. Oh, bother <laughs> yeah. her. She is the it's reason. Her <laughs> oh my gosh. So. So what I will say is this, right, that this does not mean that if you're an underrecognized person, you never, ever, ever, ever do anything for free, right? What it does mean is that you need to start doing a careful analysis of what reciprocity is going to look like in lieu of monetary compensation. For me, doing a podcast, Mm -hmm. I provide Mm -hmm. free content to the world. But I get mm-hmm. to interview really interesting guests who share their knowledge with me mm-hmm. and to meet that guest audience. And I get interaction from my audience. I get mm-hmm. DMs, I get downloads, etc. So yeah. non-monetary reciprocity that hopefully eventually becomes mon- reciprocity. But maybe that's right. an, an easy example given that we're on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I think and that's, I'm no, I think that's a great entire podcast strategy. No, I, I, like, and I'm <laughs> Yeah, no. So, so what I will say is like, yes, ex- exactly that. And, and what I would say, so like if you were my client. This is now um, my personal coaching my client, session. If you were my client, I would ask us to, again, list out all, like all of the things that you just said and more, right? List out all of those forms of, non-monetary compensation, right? And then since you are running a business, right? The, I won't say the ultimate or even the final or terminus kind of compensation that you're looking for, right? But somewhere along the road, one of the kinds of compensation that you're looking for is monetary, Mm -hmm. right? And so what we want to do is track out a path from, if, if possible, right? From these other various forms of non-monetary compensation to that monetary type of compensation, right? We need to map out that and then we need to make sure that the infrastructure is in place to encourage folks to take that particular. And this is where we get into behavior design, which is one of my favorite parts about what I do, right? That at the end of the day, as business owners, and I'll just speak to the folks who know are probably listening, 
to this podcast, right? As business owners, as online CEOs, right? As founders, we are in the business of behavior change, no matter what anybody else says. And so what that means is what that can look like, right? Is someone going from paying you to paying you, right? Not buying your stuff to buying your stuff, right? Sometimes that can look like the transformation that you provide, right? But because you are running a business, that also does need to be tied up with money, right? And so I say all of this to say that in order to ensure that behavior change happens, we can't leave it up to change. We need to engineer the path from those non-monetary forms of compensation to the monetary compensation. So an example for me, I used to run, may continue to run, we'll see what, what's going on, right? But I used to run this thing called a visibility clinic, right? And this was a visibility Q&A. Folks could come and ask me their questions, right? And I would answer because like, I'm best when people ask me questions. This was free. And one of the non-monetary forms of compensation that I got from this visibility clinic is that I got to keep my finger on the pulse of what was happening visibility bias-wise in the world. Right. So if something in terms of visibility bias came up that I didn't recognize, right, as often happened, I would be like, oh, OK, here's a new phenomenon that I need to respond. Right. A great example of what and of, of this is I had somebody come to the clinic and ask about she named it micro exclusions. Right. Not microaggressions, micro exclusion. And I was like, this is not a phenomenon that I've studied yet. This doesn't have a name either. You and I should meet so that I can interview you and pull up more information about this so I can keep an eye on it and see if this is something that's happening systemically, right? That's non-monetary compensation. But you can see, obviously, <laughs> how that would lead to monetary compensation for me because that then allows me to refine my methodology to account for that visibility bias, come up with methods and tactics and strategies that can help us fix it, right? And then that leads directly to being compensated. And so once you have like traced the path to monetary compensation, one of the things that I did to do that is when folks were signing up for a, signing up for the clinic, I had something that I called a reciprocity release where I explained how very briefly that the relationship between underrecognized folks and reciprocity, it's a bit weird, linked to my work about why, and said, so when I do something for free, right, I ensure that I'm getting compensated in ways. For this piece of work, this is how I'm getting compensated, right? And I put that reciprocity release there, right? Just so folks knew, right? And that's just seeding the ground. Just one tiny thing, right? That's seeding the ground, seeding the, the start of the infrastructure. That's an example of yeah, so it's really thinking through for everything that I'm going to do for free. Where mm. where am I getting non-monetary compensation? And how does that lead me on a path to monetary compensation? So it's mm. being more strategic about what am I doing for free rather than creating a new freebie for every blog post that we write on the hopes that someone will exactly. join our email list, continue to absorb more free content exactly. and never buy anything. And this sort of method, maybe I would say, is, or approach. Obviously, I have a methodology. That methodology is called visibility engineering, right? 
And visibility engineering has two primary pieces, right? There's the impression management piece of it, where which is where a lot of like the brand science stuff comes in. And you're like, this is how you know what color to pick because blah, 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 right? Like all of that stuff that people generally associate with me. And then there's the influence management part of it, right? And this is the key part that a lot of folks tend to miss when they're talking about marketing, all mm-hmm. the things, right? And when I'm working with my clients, often often this piece comes in, yeah, I would say it's in the the content chemistry kit. That's probably, I think, the best place, the best place, right? But essentially what that is, is it says, okay, cool. At this point in the process, you you know what to say to each of your various stakeholders at the various parts of your relationship with them, right? You understand what drives them motivationally, right? You understand what those motivations are. A whole bunch of other stuff that we do not have time for me here to talk about, right? But you understand all of this stuff, right? How does that fit into a visibility pipeline, right? Where do each of those, like, where do each of those things fit in terms of guiding or motivating somebody towards the end that we're trying to get to, right? Because ultimately, visibility has a purpose, right? You are being visible for a reason. You are trying to draw more attention and interest to your work for a reason. It's not always money, right? But if you are a CEO running a business, often it is, right? And so the content chemistry kit is just sort of saying, right? Like, we, we, we have all the building blocks. Where do we put them? Where do we put them? And in what order? How can we keep track of how effective they are? So, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's what I would say that often that comes in that piece of sort of building the infrastructure toward that monetary compensation from the sort of non-monetary compensation that you might get, the sort of free things that you do. So I have a really tough question. If you could only tell business owners one thing about branding. Mm-hmm. What would that be? So hard. Should I do this to Why? I thought we were friends. <laughs> you made me panic about the podcast. This is revenge. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Fully my fault. You're right. It's on me. Totally this on me. Ready <laughs> in a way that you don't want. Right. This is just, this is just turnabout right. fair play. All right. <laughs> uh, okay. So this is, oh boy, about, right. Aside from what I've already mm, I would say, and this is more like an, philosophy maybe as an underrecognized person don't settle for disrupting the present you want to focus your eyes on shaping the future and ultimately that's what brands do because that that's going to pay dividends that's that legacy built right and i think that one of the things we trap especially as underrecognized folks who are like, we get into this hamster wheel of like, okay, well, maybe this will work. Or maybe this will work. Or like, ah, I miss a post that day. Darn it. Okay. I won't do that next week. Right? Like this vicious cycle that we get into. And I would say, well, brands are equipped to help you make a splash. I think that they are best leveraged when you are thinking about tomorrow. So good. Okay, remind everybody where they can go and do the assessment, how they can, because I, I feel like you and I have 
been everywhere with brands today. So let's <laughs> let's like give everyone like one easy next step to take if they're also panicking yeah. like I was panicking. Yeah, okay. So so one easy next step I would say is this. Definitely go watch that video on the four stages of visibility. We will include a link. It will have a quick assessment that will help you figure out which stage you happen to be in. Okay, so that is your easy next step. And <laughs> and because Chloe as likes as to make and, things a little more complicated. Because I always like, look, things are not, things are multifaceted. Right. Okay. We're here to make a transformation. But exactly, right? So, so I would say everybody who is interested in this, who feels like this might be something that they're going through, definitely go watch that video. Go do that assessment. Personally, I would love to chat with you and give you a recognition prescription. And so if after watching that video, you're like, you know what, I would love to chat with Chloe about, okay, what do I do now? Then there will be a link under that video. You can follow it and you can sign up. This is free, <laughs> but I am in fact being compensated in other ways. Modeling those teachings for us. <laughs> so yes. to finish up, I always ask my guests the same two questions. First of all, what is your number one lifestyle boundary for your business? I take a week off every month. No work at all or just and, no calls? Well, if you want me to get more specific. <laughs> oh, don't tip so me with a good time. That, yeah, no, right? So the way I have my life set up is that there's one week every month where I, the only thing I'm doing is rest and research. Right. So I am reading all of the articles and the research papers that have just been piling up for me and I'm resting and that's it. The week before that, I will limit meetings and I will focus on work. I take 10 clients a year tops. Right. So like this is more than enough time for me to, to do that. And then the remaining two weeks are sort of open office hours for me. So that's what. I'm talking to everybody that's going to be doing podcast interviews, teaching workshops, that sort of thing. So that is my one barrier for me. Yeah, you definitely need the rest and research to go together because people listening haven't read a research paper. Like, it is not like reading a blog. <laughs> no one, no, no one is not. trying to make it simple for you. So dry. I'm always like, is there a diagram? Is there a diagram? I know. Oh my God. No, actually, same. I'm like, this would be very... You'd be better served yeah, with a like diagram, like sir, ma'am. Anything. <laughs> a graph or something, ma'am. Anything. <laughs> okay. Finally, what is the worst piece of cookie cutter advice you've been given as an entrepreneur? Ugh, niche down. Oh. I, and I, I know can't I opened another. Believe I opened that door for you. Go on. You did. You really did. You did. I was like, look, this is going to have to be like podcast <laughs> episode two. Like, we're going to have to do a part two for this because this is a whole thing. <laughs> but I will say briefly. That, oh God, niching. Niching, people will often niche because they are hoping that it will help make their wares, their widget, their thing more compelling to the right people, right? The problem is niching focuses on demographics and if you're lucky, psychographics. For those who are unfamiliar, demographics are like census level data, right? Gender, age, that sort of thing, right? Psychographics are sort of like habits. Sometimes it can be, you know, ways that you would identify yourself or affiliate yourself with things, right? So demographics and psychographics, right? Here's the unfortunate thing. Those two details, 99% of the time, 
will not give you the information that you need in order to change someone's behavior. Sorry. So, and when we're talking about being compelling, we're talking about like, yeah, changing someone's behavior. Generally as a business, it's from not buying, actually buying, right? And so knowing that somebody is a 38-year-old woman whose favorite flavor of seltzer is grapefruit is not going to tell you what's going to change their behavior. And and that is why I need on my shit list. Excuse me. And it's not the only thing, but it's the thing that like, especially early on in my career, folks were like, oh, you just need to niche down. And I was like, oh, sit well with me. And I don't really know why until I did the research. And then I was like, oh, that's why. So yeah, if someone has told you that and you've been struggling to niche for like a life age of the earth, this is why. Yeah. Or you have niched and it's still not working. Yeah. In which case, like, yeah, it's because it wasn't going to. <laughs> it was never meant so, to help. Good news. <laughs> it was never meant to help. Yeah. Like, good, great yeah. news, folks. It was never meant to help. And and that is, I like, I like to assign goodwill to folks, right? But there are definitely marketers and folks out there who know that niching is not going to solve the problem, but know that you're going to keep coming back to them to have you ask them for help because this is a, a thing with an ever-moving target, right? Like they can always tell you that you just need to niche further. And this is not everyone. This is even most people. And I do think um, it's kind of so... like in the begin in the beginning, a lot of people need to like niche from I can help everyone and having the most generic like social media <laughs> of their lives. But as you get more experience, <laughs> simply just what's the like niche till you bleed or whatever, like no, I know. I get being told that one, and I was like, "That does not sound like fun to me." <laughs> that <laughs> like, sounds terrible. Why oh would my... that be your marketing I... slogan? <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. So I'll I'll even push back here a little bit and say, like, yeah, even at the beginning, I would say that's not going to niching is no. Yeah, no. I told you. I told you this is episode two. I told you like this is a whole thing. Con- um, controversial. Everybody but... in the DMs, do we want Chloe Lo- on niching? Let us. <laughs> yeah. We'll give you some time to recover from the fact that all your branding is wrong and that you've given away too much free value before we blow up your niche. I was just, truly, it's not like everything is wrong, y'all. It's just so much of what you've been told. And that's just that, like, knowledge is power. It just helps you discern the next time somebody tells you something, whether or not that will work for you, which I think is really important. This has been so much fun. Honestly, like, my cheeks hurt from, like, laughing so hard. Where can people find you? Remind them where they can find you on the web and on social so they can keep following you, find out more about you, also get sore cheeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if if you are interested in just sort of like being in my orbit and like, oh, she found a new thing, right? I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I post there semi-regularly. So follow me there at under my name. I'm also on uh, Instagram <laughs> less often, but I'm definitely there. And I do have like a library of like an insane of resources on brand science. So like if that's something you're interested in, you're interested more in the impression management side of things, look at my posts there. I'm sharing lots of things and stories all the time. And I am N as a Nancy, O, B for boy, for Igloo, works with an S on Instagram. I will link all of that <laughs> in the show notes because honestly, like Chloe's brain is like one of my favorite things to experience. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me and for opening up your audience to me. I know, honestly, that your attention, everybody who's listening, I know that your attention is not something to take for granted. So thank Thanks you. so much. 
you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review.